Hi everyone, this is the next in a series of discussions with Fraser Fernahead, the founder of the House Crowd. Unusually, the firm also has a property development arm, which I'm keen to learn more about. Fraser, is it true that the House Crowd is unique in having this property development company? Um, I think we probably probably are. There, there are obviously um, quite a few peer-to-peer platforms out there who lend to developers. But as far as I'm aware, we're the only ones who actually have our, our own connected development company um, that's been going a, cu- you know, a couple of years now. Why did you set it up? Um, well, I think initially when, when we started the house crowd, we were the first property crowdfunding company in, in the world. So we didn't really have a business model to follow. And we came very much from a property background. Both my business partner and I have been involved in, in property, whereas I think lots of other companies who started in, in this space have come from more a technology background and seen, seen it more as a, um, a technology business. And we, we, we sort of morphed into that, but essentially our, our background is property, so it's almost a natural thing for us to do. Now, we did start off working with third-party developers and... Um, to be perfectly honest, that was a little bit rocky. They didn't share the same sort of ethos we did or have the same respect for looking after clients' money that we did. And we just thought, let's, let's take this next step. Let's bring it in-house. We can control clients' money better. We can look after it better. Um, and we can offer better, better returns to the clients to do it. So, What kind of returns can clients expect? Um, we typically pay 10, 10% a year oh. on our, our developments. Uh, that starts from the time people invest um, until the date they're, they're repaid. So it's, I think it's a fairly, well, very generous way of, of kind of profit sharing um, with our investors, although it is structured as a debt-based investment um, rather than equity for, for all manner of reasons. What One, it's a lot simpler to do it that way. People know exactly what they're getting. Secondly, they get paid out first before we take any profits. And thirdly, if, if for any reason, unforeseen reason, the development is delayed, um, they continue to earn interest on their money um, while they're waiting to be repaid. So um, I say we do it as a fixed rate of interest and it, it's typically to 10% a year. It seems high. How can you afford to pay what seems to me to be a high rate? Well, essentially, property development can be very, very lucrative. And it's normally lucrative for the equity investors. So they'll, you know, there's all, all different sorts of ways you can structure a development deal, and you can get very, you can get very complex with mezzanine finance, bank finance, yes. and what have you. What we do is, well, one because we've cut out third-party developers and we're doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's there's a greater pot of money to share out, um, and we believe that's an equitable way to way to do it to pay our investors. You know, rather than banks and everything else taking their cut and their share and their fees and what have you, um, there's a reasonable profit in it to enable us to pay pay ten percent to people. How how are investors' money protected? Um, by I think almost exclusively by a first legal charge against the land and property. Oh, so if something does go wrong, then the finance our finance arm will step in and take and take over, um, and continue with the development. And investors' money is protected in exactly the same way a bank would protect its money by a first legal charge at the land registry. I see. Has an investor ever lost any money? Uh, nope. To date, and hope, hopefully um, they won't. We've now, the development side of the business has been going um, over two years now. We're on our, God, 
when I'm losing count. I'm, I'm not sure because some, some of the projects got aborted before they got off the ground. Um, I think we're on about our 15th, 16th development now. We've got approximately 200 units wow. um, in development. They have all sold for the forecast prices or above the forecast prices and um, no no one's lost any money and everyone's received the returns they were promised. Excellent. Do you concentrate on a particular type of development? Yeah, we we do. Um, we, we focus very much on the kind of quality mid-market range, so properties from um, 200,000 to about 450,000. Now that, that can actually buy you a home in the northwest, which some <laughs> of our some of our southern listeners may be surprised. Um, who when, when they heard that, they may think we're selling broom cupboards or something. But no, <laughs> the, these are good quality family houses, um, and they're aimed very much at the mid-market. So on on any one development. Um, the, we do developments for between 10 and 40 houses. So on the larger developments, there'll be there'll be three or four different house types and they were very much aimed at first time buyers, at families and downsizers. So we cater for all ends of the market. All our schemes to date are, uh, they qualify for the help to buy scheme, which means people only have to find a 5% deposit. And the reason we do that, we aim at the mid-market, we aim for good quality, nicely designed properties, and we aim for those three main target markets, is because we want to sell them off-plan where possible, yeah. and um, basically sell them quickly, get investors' money back to them with their returns. It's better for everyone, everyone feels comfortable, and from our perspective, it's great. We've sold the houses, and people have got their money back, and 80% of them will reinvest it in the next project. Mm. So it works well for everybody. Uh, in the banking community, development finance is usually regarded as um, very risky. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, it is. It, it can be very lucrative and it can be very risky. And, you know, people can and have lost their shirts on many occasions. Um, however, we operate a very different model to your traditional uh, traditional development finance route and we, we've, we've kind of removed or significantly mitigated most of the risks associated with traditional development finance. So if you take a typical developer, you've got several main risks. One risk is they won't get, they're taking a punt on buying land and getting planning yeah. permission. Okay, so that's a major risk yeah. that you won't get planning permission. Yeah. Well, we only offer projects that already have full planning permission oh, in place, so that yeah. is not a risk. Well, we, we may in the future offer ones that haven't, but the majority of the ones have, and if they didn't, we would state it very clearly. Mm-hmm. Your next major risk is that um, the bank is generally providing 60 70% of the finance. Now, as we know from 2008, the banks... Um, are quite harsh when it comes to lending money. They have the right under most contracts to send in a valuer. And when when they make a loan, it will be at a certain loan to value. Now they can send in a valuer at any time. And if that valuer assesses that the value of the the properties has fallen because there's been a decline in the market values, for example, they can demand an immediate payment from the developer and if the developer doesn't make that payment the bank can come in step in and take over the development Mm. so what that would mean for the developer and any investors that he has on board equity investors means the bank comes in takes it over can sell it for whatever it sells it for and the bank takes all their money and all the excess charges they'll pile on top of it first and the equity investors can often be left with absolutely nothing 
that happened to loads of investors sorry loads of developers i know mm. back in 2008 um the banks not only acted harshly, um, have been accused of acting unethically in many cases. Lloyds and RBS in particular are still being taken to court by people um, who, who basically the bank sees their assets unjustifiably and sold them off at cut price cut prices. So that risk of bank the bank stepping in is utterly removed because we don't use banks. Your next main risk is that things go over um, budget or over scheduled. So we mitigate that by only hiring um, sizable, reputable contractors who are operating on what's called a fixed price design and build contract. That means that they have to deliver it for a fixed price and within a fixed time frame. If the builders go over the time frame, they have subject to severe penalties. Yeah. several thousand pounds a week wow. so it means that the owner the, the onus is on them to deliver what they say they're going to do and on time so that mitigates a lot of that risk and because we're working with established contractors they can afford to pay those penalty rates yeah. now that to be fair makes you know i think in the, in the we, we we've learned by the errors and mistakes we've made the first few projects we did we didn't operate on that basis with contractors because it, it makes it more expensive mm-hmm. the contractors will generally charge a premium for guarantee making those guarantees yeah. but what we wanted to do is offer a very clean simple streamlined product which was predictable and delivered people's returns what they were expecting on time and we figured that was the best way to do it so it costs us more but it creates a more reliable investment product. Mm. And then your next main risk is, which is a major one, is that you have not forecast the end values of the properties correctly. Um, That is always going to be a risk. Um, We do as much research as we can. We get professional valuations. We talk to several estate agents. We do all sorts of comparables. But ultimately, that that is a risk that it will always be present and there could be changes in the market um, and we just do what we can to mitigate that. But anyone investing must realise that the return of their money is dependent upon selling those houses and at the value that we, we have predicted. Yeah, that's um, very comprehensive, but, but given, given you're aware of all those risks, what kind of problems have you encountered with developments? Um, I think in the early ones, we, we, we haven't encountered any problems with the end sell, sale values. They've all sold at what we predicted or more because we do try. There's no point in us falsely or over-optimistically predicting what these values are going to be. So we've been very conservative. That hasn't been a problem. We have had problems um, getting planning permission with councils. As I said, that's one reason why we've moved away from um, dealing with projects that still require planning permission because... You know, dealing with councils is just, it just, you tears your, you just tear your hair out. It's unbelievable. They'll want surveys for everything. You know, you have to have bat surveys, newt surveys, archaeological surveys, crime surveys, everything. Um, councils are obliged to deliver decisions within a certain time frame. But then they'll come to you at the last minute and charge you more if you want it within that time frame. So they actually charge you money for doing what they're, they're obliged to do under the law anyway. And there's no point in ever complaining about any of this because they'll just delay things even further. Anyway. Um, you know, we've had one site in, in Yorkshire where 
it had a care home on it um, for decades that's been demolished. And despite that, despite the fact it's been built on before and planning permission already been given, the council then wanted, um, I'm not sure if it was, uh, it could have been as much as £10,000 extra to do an archaeological survey on it because it might possibly have had Roman ruins on it, despite the fact it's been built on numerous times since. So mm-hmm. all sorts of problems with the councils, um, problems with vandalism, um, you know, the usual the usual sorts of things which we, we've learnt by our mistakes that basically, as I said, we always get planning permission now, we work on a fixed design and build contract which puts the onus on the contractor. So with our latest four projects, they've run so smoothly, it's been an absolute pleasure. So I really hope we've learnt by our early mistakes and <laughs> things, will, things will run a lot more yeah. smoothly in, yeah. our, in our future projects. So how, how do investors get paid with, with the... What's a typical roadmap yeah. okay. for payment? Well, um, essentially, the, with our developments, it is dependent on the houses being sold. Yeah. So we try and sell them off plan, but that may not always happen. So investors get, um, this is the order of priority, essentially they get their capital repaid in the order that it was invested with us. Yeah. So if we have different phases, people are phase right. one to be yeah. paid first, then phase two, phase three. When everyone's capital has been repaid, then their interest is paid. And then when investors have received everything they're entitled to, then the developer can take its profits out, but not before. Right. So what happens if a developer goes bust? Um, well, if a developer goes bust, each project is very carefully managed. So we have both what's called an employer's agent who monitors the contract, the, the developers on, our, sorry, not the developers, the builders on our behalf. I see. So they monitor them, they're checking the value of their work, and then they are reporting to a fund monitor that is a, an, a qualified um, quantity surveyor employed by the finance company who checks over the employer's contracts work and then and only then if he's double checked that will allow the money to be drawn down and the builders to be paid. Mm -hmm. So if the builders were to go bust at any one time it would cause a problem there's no doubt about that they would have to replace them with another builder and issues such as warranties on work and things that would have to be deal with. It would cause a delay, but it's not insurmountable. Um, other builders would come in and take over the work, and it shouldn't cost any. It might cost a little bit due to the delays um, in extra interest payments and what have you. But fundamentally, the problem can be handled. I see. Well, what happens? Going back to the issue of not selling all, all the houses. What happens if the houses don't sell? Um, I think the the only reason properties don't sell is they're not at the right price. So that's a risk, you know, you, we, we provide full information on our developments. You have to look at these properties, you have to look at the area they're in, and you think you, you have to make a decision. Do I believe these properties are going to sell? Mm-hmm. Now, typically, it's the last few properties where the developer takes its, its profits. So on a development of, say, 40 houses, it will typically be the last five or six properties where the developer will be getting its profits. Mm-hmm. So. The investors get repaid for the first, if there's a few left straggling, then it's up to the developer to decide what price to sell it for, mm. to sell them for rather, whether to reduce the prices and cut its profits. Um, but it's a risk. Yeah. That's what you take. But very clearly in, in the Northwest, this part of the Northwest, you're contributing greatly to the housing stock, improving and increasing the housing stock. Do you know how many houses you're 
responsible for funding over um, past five or so two? far it's around two hundred. I'd say <laughs> by the end of this year it should be three hundred. I don't. I mean, we're you know we'd like to think in our own um, our own small way we're helping to get Britain building again, but you know it's it's nothing compared to the big big house builders who are building tens of thousands a year. Yeah. Um, I mean, the country needs about three hundred thousand new houses mm. every year. And we're not even coming close to provide, well, I say we, the house builders aren't even coming close to building half of the required number. So mm. the housing crisis is getting worse and worse mm. each year. And I would I would like to think that in our own um, small way, we are, we're, we're helping <laughs> ease it slightly. In, in that connection, house builders on a big development, for example, they will put show houses up for people to go and see the properties that they're selling there. Yeah proposing to buy um, how does someone do that with your development oh, so exactly 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 what we do oh, right. yeah we've we've got I think four show houses open in various developments at the moment um, and we when we're doing similar developments also we you know we use a show house and one development for people uh, to come and look at so they can see the standard of fixtures and fittings or what mm. have you for for kind of more current developments that are a little little behind do you use your website for for investors who may be in london for example um yeah we we the, the how the development arm has its own separate website it's it's housecrowd-developments.com and people can see on there all the developments we've got the plans for them um and, and all the information about them um it also has a little bit about the the opportunity to invest in the construction of the developments on there as well. Do so you show different phases of development so an investor can see? How yeah, yeah. If people if people invest with us, they get monthly updates, so they can oh, they excellent. can they can see videos and photographs of the progress. They get an update on sales, and then we, and we put that out every month so people can see what's got's going on. Oh, brilliant! Thank you very much indeed, Fraser. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank, Thank you, Paul. To find out more about crowdfunding in general, read Fraser's book, The Alternative Guide to Property Investment, available on Amazon.co.uk, or to find out more about the house crowd, visit thehousecrowd.com.